back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, Alina moderating the chat. We have a fantastic episode for you tonight. Turia Simonsen, all the way from Norway, is with us. He has a fantastic book that's out in multiple languages, a short history of nearly everything paranormal that we're going to be diving deep into this evening. A little bit of background. Uh, Turia is a Norwegian historian of ideas, is a nonfiction author specializing in the esoteric and occult. He's educated at the University of Oslo. He also has taught introductory courses on philosophical and literary works, and we have his fantastic mind with us tonight. Turia, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah. I have not yet uh, dug into this book yet. Victoria <laughs> actually mm -hmm. has a copy in front of her, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, but you. I have watched some uh, interviews with you, and, you know, it – your work sounds absolutely fascinating. This isn't, you know, you're talking about everything paranormal, but not necessarily ghosts and hauntings and things like that. You're more about telepathy, clairvoyance, the consciousness, and you, mm. you talk about this this mental internet that we can all tap into, which to me sounds, a, you know, very Jungian, like, you know, collective unconscious. Uh, so can we talk a little bit about, about, you know, the basis of your research for this fantastic book? Yeah, it was a personal interest that I had for many years, uh, and uh, people in I was uh, in part of a part of a Christian youth club, and some uh, some of my friends that I have now uh, no doubt to, to to disbelieve, they told me about strange things happening to them from time to time, and also some people in my family, you know, well-educated folks, they told me about strange stories about telepathy and clairvoyant episodes and so so uh, i had to somehow dig into that and i uh, of course met my gypsy uh, <laughs> these uh, fortune tellers and asked them questions and also got a mentor at the university uh, who is an always uh, foremost expert on occult and esoteric traditions professor jan erik ebster hansen he is a literaturalist uh, with more than 100 publications about these uh, themes and he guided me into the mysteries of anthroposophy and these kind of things and on my own later i studied parapsychology the science rigorous science about these phenomena and uh, long story short i i um, a friend of mine he's an experienced psychotherapist and uh, he wanted me to write a book about this he says you must uh, collect what you have uh, say a uh, learned from these different uh, forays uh, and and make a book about it and i said why yes it will be helpful for many people he said because in his therapy room people were coming into uh and telling about say a telepath uh, telepathic episode and then he as a say normal psychologist he could just say oh that was strange but basically he knew that there was something more going on uh in, in some of these cases that there had been in fact real telepathy or real clairvoyance going on so he uh, suggested that i write this book to give people uh, say constructive frame to understand and interpret these phenomena within and also he has bought three copies of my book you know and uh, placed it on his wards so that the younger psychologists can read and somehow educate themselves in a bit more expanded view of consciousness and then we can go into to, to the mental internet if you like yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely want to uh, learn more about this mental internet and, and kind of where you came up mm -hmm. with the idea. Like I said, to me, it sounds kind of you know like the collective unconscious. 
Uh, and you know, watching some of your, uh, your your other interviews kind of talked about, you know, it's not necessarily in us, but it's something that we can tap into. Am I correct in that assessment? Mm. Yes, uh, as I said, uh, uh, said in some inter other interviews, if you say that internet is inside your mobile phone, that's totally wrong, or inside your PC. Uh, but we tend to have a very limited view of consciousness. We say consciousness inside my head, or inside your head, or inside your head. Uh, would it be possible to, for me to see you also on the screen? Otherwise, I feel I'm talking to myself. I'd rather would feel the dialogue. Sure. Yeah, that, that's that's much more easy for me. Thank you. Uh, and uh, and uh, so it struck me that somehow the internet is an excellent metaphor for this because we exchange emails with our friends and family and also it's uh, uh, so that would be kind of telepathy and also the download information that would be what a clairvoyant person uh, does so somehow it's a metaphor but as you say uh, I read Jung when I was quite young so uh, that is a heavy influence and also a very specific experience I had uh, with an old traveler you know that is not the same as gypsies, but they have some kind of inherent uh, 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 lifestyle uh, traveling around, and they have a strong culture for uh, fortune telling and that. And uh, I was going to a date uh, some years ago, and I asked him, how will that uh, date uh, work out? And uh, he said, yes, she will uh, like you quite a lot. And so, and then he said, and I can tell you, this woman is one meter and 64 centimeters tall. And I said, huh? How do you know? Oh, no, I don't know that, but I, I know. <laughs> and I went to this date, and during uh, the evening, uh, which went quite well, and we had a nice chat, and so uh, I asked, I couldn't, of course, let this just, uh, just pass. Uh, and I said, uh, by the way, how tall are you? And then she said, one meter and 64 centimeters. <laughs> and I was struck. You know, yeah. So first, uh, first thing next morning, I I rang hung up. Uh, how did you know this? <laughs> and he laughed and said, "It's uh, kind of like uh, when um, when you do a search on the internet, you know, because you have say Google or or, or Bing or uh, whichever search engine, and you have this search word, and then suddenly uh, information related to that search word will appear. And it can be quite well sorted, but also quite chaotic. That depends. And he he said, when you ask my question, it works a bit like that, because then I suddenly get uh, my mind filled with information, which somehow is related to what you have asked me. And, um, and uh, he said also, I cannot uh, decide exactly which information is to arrive. I, I have to be open to take what comes. Uh, and I, I was quite intrigued by that. And I said, OK, so you're somehow reading my mind then. And this was several years before I wrote this book. So I was very much in a learning phase of, of this phenomenon. And he said, yes, if you, uh, especially if you're a good channeler. And I didn't know what he meant by that. But you know, I said, OK, but can we try that? He was then uh, on holiday at the Canary Islands out in the, in, in the Atlantic Sea. Uh, and uh, I imagined, uh, I, I said, uh, no, I will make an inner picture of my house, uh, which is a, a white house with a big blue double door in the middle. So that's quite distinct. White house with a big, star starkly blue door in the middle. And I said, no, I will imagine my house. And please tell me, what do you see? And I Im imagined, and it was a couple of seconds uh, pause. And then he said, I see something white and uh, I see something blue, you know. 
So he took that <laughs> like that, and he didn't have the time, you know, to to make a Google Maps search for where I was living or everything right. like that. No. So so you know those episodes that was kind of demonstration of how this mental internet really is working out because the Jungian stuff, which I, I admire Jung greatly, that is kind of very arcane, you know, the collective unconsciousness of what happened right. thousand years ago is still with us and so. On. But it's not up-to-date, the functional thing we do day-to-day -day as we experience the internet. But really, if you tune into this, and I have interviewed so many clairvoyants, uh, uh, people living from there, I, I know quite a lot of what they can do and what they cannot do. And for those who are clever with this, it's working like internet. It, it's lightning fast. And if they have a good day, it can be very precise also. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. You know, we hear stories, and you know, we've seen it throughout history, in which... You know, all of a sudden, several people will have an idea for uh, maybe it's an invention or maybe it's a, you know, a, a topic that they're researching. Mm. All of a sudden, there's like a, a slew of books out on the same topic or, mm. uh, you know, every, everybody inventing the radio at the same time. Or, you know, exactly. is, is that what they're tapping into here when these sorts of things happen? Uh, I'm quite open to that could be a part of the workings of the mental internet as well. Yeah, as you said, the radio, Marconi and Bell quite uh, simultaneously. Also, uh, integral mathematics with uh, Newton and Leibniz at the same time. And they... Uh, you know, for years, struggle. I was first. No, I was first, and I was first, and I was first. You know, so right. uh, and and they could, in fact, both be right. Um, I, my personal favorite is Newton, there, but that uh, that is another chapter. I I, I think uh, <laughs> I'm uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think uh, you you you're really onto something there because the information. If I it's just like I upload information, say on my Facebook uh, Facebook page, and other people can go there and oh he is uh, he's in uh, say in England now he's in Wales uh, yeah okay it's uh, like that you know the information is shared via this internet and becomes available to other persons also and of course if you are having an extremely intense focus that uh, be, will be to have a very good search engine and of course these uh, say uh, Marconi and Bell and Leibniz and Newton they were extremely focused for a long period of time and then somehow uh, uh, it's like uh, fine-tuning your, your, your what is called the binoculars and, and Ah, there it is, you know. So I think that's part of it. Of course, difficult to to somehow uh, finally prove. But uh, as you say, it happens quite often uh, through history. So uh, uh, that is a good working hypothesis taken together with all the other manifestations of this mental internet. That's a write about in my 500 pages book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few pages there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me ask you a question since we're on this topic. Um, as I was reading your wonderful book, I love your book, by the way. It's awesome. Thank you. Every, oh, it's, it's, never mind. It's good. It's really good. I like yeah. it. Um, but you were talking about how you were interested in magical phenomena when you were a child. Yes. And you, you and I are, are roughly the same age. And when I was a child, all of a sudden, boom, everybody was interested in psychometry and um, telekinetic abilities and uh, precognitive stuff. But yeah. our parents were not. They're mm. like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I don't even know where these ideas came from. It's just boom, everybody mm. my age was suddenly interested in that. Could mm. that be part of the tapping into the so-called internet? 
Or that could it also, but of course the um, uh, media we have in, had in Norway at that time, and I suppose you had also, uh, you know, uh, uh, in England, I think. Oh, no, no, that was an American show, uh, The Twilight Zone, wasn't yes. that? Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And also we had uh, parallel shows in Norway, so uh, I think it could be kind of what they in German, uh, German called the Zeitgeist. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think it necessarily would have been say a direct download from that. It could be more of the cultural field moving in that direction. You know, uh, also I remember. Yeah, that is what I think. You know, so so even if I'm open to what you say, it I will not somehow ascribe everything that happens. You know, because you we, we had a quite influential TV host in Norway, and he mm. was hosting an extremely good and well-informed series on ten programs on the paranormal. You know, interviewing famous mediums and also parapsychologists in laboratories and. Uh, all of Norway saw that, and ah, also okay. uh, yes, uh, and also uh, uh, if you say we are same age, there was the seventies. Uh, uh, also, Uri Geller uh, went to yeah. met meteoric fame, and he was also on the telly and in the newspapers all the time. You know, doing his spoon bending things and also some uh, mind reading stuff. So it could be more of the say the cultural field and and, and uh, zeitgeist, but of course. The, one thing do, does not exclude the other. That's true. Can you explain mm. brain urine? Is that part of this? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> that was a I, metaphor. Uh, uh, uh -huh. uh, uh, as I said, uh, people, uh, conventional psychology tend to have a very reduced view of what consciousness is. They would mm -hmm. say that uh, consciousness is just a result of the chemistry in the brain. Okay. And uh, uh, that was, uh, say, a rather poignant uh, uh, say statement uh, made by a German uh, biologist, zoologist called Karl Fucht uh, in the mid uh, about 1850 or so and he said uh, that uh, <laughs> um, uh, the brain uh, produces thoughts uh, like the kidneys produce urine Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, and that is somehow not uh, the cosmic uh, dimension, uh, uh, you know, it's not anima mundi, the, the, the world spirit, uh, it's not the Brahman, it's not the, the thoughts of God, uh, so it's uh, making it very trivial. So I use that as a kind of metaphor for the reductionist view of consciousness that has been, say, the common stock among conventional psychologists until quite recently. So uh, we are moving in better uh, moving into better terrains i think because many many uh, both uh, say uh, physicists uh, quantum physicists and also quite a lot of psychologists uh, um, are open to those new perspectives uh, if i may uh, quote uh, there is uh, the most uh, prestigious psychological journal in the world is uh, likely uh, the the american psychologist which is uh, released by the Amer apa american psychological association and in uh, 2018 in the may issue they had an article it's called the experimental evidence for uh, parapsychology uh, parapsychological phenomena, uh, as to say, a May issue, uh, 2018. And there is a professor in psychology, Etzel Cardenia, and he uh, argues wonderfully for that these phenomena are very real. It's just we have not uh, yet reached a uh, say, satisfactory uh, explanatory model for them. So, uh, and that the most prestigious psychological journal in the world takes in that kind of article that speaks volumes. It does, it really does. Yes.
it, yeah. it does. But what what kind of level do we need to get to that would be considered acceptable? Because we've seen, uh, like here in the United States, the U.S. military using these type of abilities like Project Stargate with remote viewing. Uh, so mm-hmm. to me, that's an acknowledgement that, you know, that these abilities are real. Uh, so, you know, what is a level that we have to get to for this to be more widely accepted by? Uh, very mainstream? interesting. Uh, I think um, uh, my, my, as I said, my mentor uh, in the more say uh, academic field than uh, Professor Jan Erik Hansen, he told me in some episodes. I can uh, give you that episode also because it was quite funny. He was in a, a casino in uh, I think it was Monte, either Monte Carlo or Monaco. I always mix those uh, places, but uh, <laughs> they have casinos both places and uh, the roulette. You and he was there together with his wife and she's the director for a big publishing company in Norway and very rational person but uh, they well went over to the roulette and uh, she suddenly said Jan-Erik plays on red number three and uh, oh, okay and uh, he placed the uh, coin or the, what is called the the, the chip on number three. Or I don't remember if there is three, but the number she said. And uh, because there are 36 numbers and the zero, there would be one out of 37 uh, chance uh, to get that right. And uh, they started the spin and uh, it become uh, was a hit, correct. And uh, as I said, one to 37. Uh, quite impressive, but still not impossible. And then uh, there was the next spin and uh, she said, uh, Jan-Erik uh, put on this one, uh, I think it was uh, Black 15. Uh, and then he uh, put on that and uh, after the spin, it was a hit again. And then you have uh, 37 times 37 and that would be about 1 to 1000 and so. And then the, they was to spin for the third time and she said, Jan-Erik put on that one. And uh, he said, no, 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 it won't work the third time. But it it did in fact. Uh, he, but he had not then put the. But uh, during that period, they have uh, uh, you know uh, get a thousand times back the money they had put on that. You know, and uh, he told me that episode, and he said it very interesting observation. But until you have a good explanatory model to somehow catch those and make it into a unified, say, uh, intelligible whole. They will just be curious and interesting and fascinating and exciting uh, episode. So back to your question again, you have to get a good explanatory model for those phenomena. Until then, I think it would just be, say, rumors and uh, what is called uh, hearsay and all that kind of things, you know, until people, uh, and therefore I uh, tried in my simple way to launch what I felt would be a good model for our times. Uh, the mental internet because then people can ah it's like working like that you know oh therefore I suddenly uh, knew my cousin had uh, broke up with her boyfriend I just felt it you know uh, because my antenna had somehow uh, crossed her, her Facebook page the mental Facebook page then so so it, it, it's a very simple model but you know it will be up to the the really bright physicist quantum guys and all that kind to 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 make this with all the theory theoretical framework but as a working uh, model for for everyday life i think it's uh, it's quite good yeah one of the terms you used in your book that i really like that i've had a couple of these moments you called them eight martini moments mine yes. have been like seven and a half maybe but you know okay <laughs> but it's a perfect metaphor for for um 
Uh, that's a, mili <laughs> a military expressions because, oh, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, as, as Mike said here, um, uh, the, the U.S. military for 20 years, in fact, have a, a big project called uh, Stargate, where they uh, try to train clairvoyant uh, spies. And those involved in the project all say that these things are real. Uh, the public evaluation, they were a bit doubtful about the military usefulness of the project. They were not discussing the uh, say phenomena per se, so they felt it was a bit too uncertain to, to because if you have to base maneuvers and you know uh, lots of the people's lives uh, are in the balance, then you mm -hmm. cannot. You must be certain. You cannot just have this uh, kind of I feel mm -hmm. this or I feel that. But all involved, uh, both the agents and 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 the physicists and uh, uh, the, the officers were quite convinced that these phenomena are, are, are very real. But uh, uh, the eight Martini expression that was. Uh, when they had a kind of paranormal experience uh, that was so astonishing that they had to have eight Martinez to regain their composure. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the perfect description for it. I mean, <laughs> okay, thank you. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> mm, but it's so I just want to let everybody know that you can <laughs> find the link to the book. And I'll go ahead and put the uh, image of the book back on the screen here for a moment. You can you can find a link to the book in the description for those watching on YouTube. And for those listening to the podcast later and on KGRA radio, uh, they can find this at uh, Amazon, correct? Yes, Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Powell's or so. But Amazon is most simple, I, I would guess. And mm -hmm. also there are uh, quite a, a good uh, say presentation and also quite a lot of the endorsements uh, by, by right. quite uh, competent people. So that could also somehow encourage people to, to have a closer look at the book. And you also so have an audio short history. I'm sorry, you have the audio Right, version. yeah, the audio version later. Uh, yes, yeah. the audio version. Oh, and you version, have the audio book uh, coming out. Yeah. The audio book is also on Amazon, uh, and also the Kindle version is there. So for people traveling a lot or having it to work from a home office, uh, having it in the background and so So uh, all the versions are available at Amazon. All right, and that is a short history of nearly everything paranormal. Okay, I want, do want to get a couple of questions here from the chat in real quick, and I know Victoria has a bunch more questions, but uh, from Judy Wilson... <laughs> Uh, do you believe that everyone can tap into telepathy? Yes, I believe that. Uh, but uh, I, I compare it to musical uh, uh, abilities because uh, everybody can sing for their own pleasure in the bathroom, but not everybody can become Beethoven or Jimi Hendrix. So uh, I think it, <laughs> I think it's an ability that somehow, because it's not uh, linked to the ego, it is uh, as long as you can think, you are uh, able to both send and receive telepathic, uh, say, uh, impressions and information uh, because it's linked to, as I said, the mental internet. It's it's the consciousness itself that is non-local in nature, and therefore, uh, as when you are thinking, uh, you are online, and then you are already connected with all other people thinking, which basically it will mean everybody in the world uh, and even i think also animals because as a consciousness is a cosmic non-local thing it's not just urine of the brain that i have inside my my head so so uh, again the model of consciousness uh, because I, I remember first speaking to a psychic person on the phone and i think thought uh, okay if we were in the same room she would probably be able to read me you know my body language uh, tone of voice you know the glance and everything 
but how is it possible that she is sitting in another town and so on and so on? So are you just, hmm, can that be real and so But it, it many times and from different angles, I ended up, if uh, you have this other model of non-local mind, as I said, the mental internet, then of course, this is exactly what we should expect. And you don't usually receive uh, emails from uh, the president or some. You receive <laughs> emails from your family and friends. And that is also telepathic messages. You, the dismantle internet is vast, but you don't get everything into your, say, inbox. Luckily, so so, right. but, but yes, so so so. Um, uh, as I said, if you have the model of uh, of consciousness that is not local and inside your head, uh, then you somehow see that everybody can, in fact, receive and send telepathic messages. Okay, and we have one here from our chat moderator, Alina. She asks: Is being able to feel people's energy and vibration a kind of telepathy in a way, or is that only clairvoyance? Very good question. Uh, I think it could be both. Uh, I do a kind of uh, have a little segment in my book where I discuss uh, the, the difference between telepathy and clairvoyance, and they somehow overlap but what they say uh, if you have telepathy then it's more uh, if you go back to the military then if you wanted to use telepathy to find about this were back in the days of the cold war uh, to find uh, the plans of the russian then you would somehow tune in to a specific russian important general and try to read his mind that would be telepathy but if you are for instance uh, using clairvoyance you would say uh, uh, direct your attention towards a military site and to try to see if they were going uh, on operations and uh, moving our troops and that kind of things. So the one would be, as I direct mind to mind, uh, like uh, trying to say go to the Facebook page of uh, of a specific person, or the, the clairvoyant uh, would just be to go to Google and make a general search. You know, so one would be specifically directed to the individual consciousness of another person and other would be more to, as I said, general search on the net. Uh, but these things overlap. So I, I will not, uh, but at least I'm saying as a working distinction between the two phenomena, uh, that would be, uh, say, I think a fruitful way to think about them. But it's, 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 it's a good question and it's difficult to answer more precise. Sure, sure. And mm. one more here and then I'll hand it back off to Victoria. So this is from <laughs> Sarah Youssef. Uh, does Turia believe that certain psychic phenomena is dependent on level or type of awakening? Are there degrees of complexity within each discipline, such as empathy and psychometry? Uh, yes. Um, uh, I'll just have to read the question. So, uh, yes, yeah, a question. little bit here. Yes, yeah. Mm. Uh, it depends on levels. Yes, uh, but uh, somehow you can also feel uh, people on a rather say general uh, psychic awake uh, say psychic phenomena and ethics is, is not the same uh, and that can be quite disappointing because uh, i will give an example for, from sweden uh, some years ago there were two uh, women a mother and daughter they are quite psychic uh, both of them I, I spoke with the mother uh, but they were using their psychic abilities to pressure a, a banker for money uh, 
you know and mm. they were charged by the police but yeah because they they could tell so much about him and he was probably in a life crisis or something you know? so uh, what kind of level of awakening is this they were uh, uh, apparently quite psychic uh, that is also my experience with the mother you know i was quite impressed by her but um, uh, her ethics was not on a very awakened level so it's a kind of confusing that but again if you i think basically the phenomena are quite neutral you know you can be a, a scumbag and still be quite psychic but so it's more like uh, how do you use this if you use them for guidance if you use them for healing and all that kind of uh, things so uh, and also if compared to music uh, of course there it must be some talent if you are going to become a good rock musician but if you use that just to do drugs and exploit uh, you know roadies and, and, and fans and all that in economical and, and sexual and every way and then it's not somehow it's not on uh, on level with your your um, musical talent so uh, you have to somehow uh, uh, see divide ethics from the psychic phenomena and that can be confusing because many spiritual masters uh, have uh, quite developed skills in in psychic uh, um, phenomena uh, so we tend to somehow connect these things uh, but it can be as i said confusing and a bit disappointing to to see that that is not always the case that said, if you do meditation, for instance, seriously for many years, uh, the chances are you will d develop both personally and, uh, and um, say, with psychic phenomena. So they can go hand in hand, but not do, does not always do that. Is that the kind okay, of so answer? Your, your <laughs> volume got a bit, it, that's a great answer. Thank you. Your volume yeah. got a bit lower when you knocked your microphone. Like they, uh, is better now? There we go. That's better. Thank you. Okay. Yes. So, all right. Go ahead, Victoria. And oh, that was yeah. deep. <laughs> so, so no psychic shakedowns. Okay. <laughs> okay. Use psychic abilities for good. Okay. Um, in your book, you were talking about, there's so many different things, um, Kant and the Copernican revolution. And that yes. was just like, that was just a mind blowing where you said that um, space and time are not parts of this world, but they're in our consciousness and they are really tools of how we organize our reality. I mean, can you mm. explain a little bit more about that? that, that well, uh, that, uh, that's, uh, that's a long, uh, yes, uh, the, uh, one of the most uh, famous and influential philosophers in, say, uh, modern times and, uh, and uh, the times of the Enlightenment was uh, the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. And he found that there's a long uh, background there with his dispute with another English philosopher called Hume. Uh, so I will not go into detail about that because okay. that's a bit, uh, yeah. But uh, but as you, as you said, uh, he found uh, that... Uh, I have never found a good English word there, but uh, uh, in the Norwegian and German, uh, the, the unschoolsesformer, unschauungsformer, that there are ways to see the world, that space and time is part of, uh, say, uh, our consciousness makes a matrix for us to live in. It organizes our, our world. And if you are, for instance, uh, to, to, to tell... Um, yeah, if you met a friend, for instance, uh, if you make are to make sense of that experience to an other person, you must uh, tell this other person um, the space, uh, where do you met, and the time when do, uh, did you meet that person otherwise uh, uh, if you can't tell, tell where you met them or when you met him or her uh, then it's somehow it's difficult to to pinpoint uh, or did it happen at all you know so so space and time is somehow the matrix uh, which organizes our world and uh, what is 
Kant's Copernican revolution is that he says these things are somehow uh, made by a very deep layer in our consciousness. They are not, uh, time is not a substance that is existing uh, apart from our consciousness. And uh, time, uh, neither space, space or time are substances in themselves. They are somehow, as, uh, as I said, this matrix. And also with the people liking the, 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 the sci-fi movie, The Matrix, they will also, oh, yeah. yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, it's uh, Uno, isn't it? That's his name. Uh, yeah, uh, transcending that. Uh, so that is what I think. Also, uh, I discussed in 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 that uh, in my book because Kant says that in some cases there seems to be uh, see the possibility to transcend that matrix. And uh, and then you have uh, if you transcend, for instance, space, then you have clairvoyance and telepathy because I can tune into my friend in Australia. And also if I transcend time when then I could perhaps say what will happen uh, about uh, this meeting I have made my boss tomorrow or all that kind of things so I said uh, normally we are regulated by that matrix but if we change the gears of consciousness uh, Kant he does not say proclaim but he hints at the possibility uh, after a very famous uh, psychic episode with with a Swedish scientist I, I go into depth in that book but he had some kind of uh, say good uh, testimonies about these kind of things and somehow made a philosophical explanation explanation this part of Kant is not very well known in academia uh, and also in his books he is a bit say careful to to become too obscurantist and too uh, occult but in his letters and also in, in some of his lectures, he talks much more freely about this phenomena. Very interesting. I always yeah. loved Kant, you know, I, I, but uh, to see it, that he has his uh, occult side was quite uh, exciting for me. Yes, leave nothing in writing, just suggest it. Um, I suggest, yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but if, if the consciousness is immortal, that means it would transcend time. Does that mean that there's only a finite number of consciousness? Like our souls, or uh, you know, basically that's a, of course a very profound question. But uh, if you go to back to the Indian Vedanta philosophy, that somehow is the root of everything spiritual, and also in uh, European tradition, because the you know there was the uh, the caravans, you know, uh, they exchanged not just uh, spices and silk and camels, they uh, exchanged lots of information and philosophy. Right. And uh, the Indian Vedanta philosophy is very very old, and they say. Basically, deep, deep down, there's only one consciousness. Uh, it's like a uh, yes, there's a crystal that uh, with lots of facets, and uh, you know this facet is blue, and this is red, and you know this is yellow, and this is clear as uh, yes, water. You know, but basically, it's just one consciousness. So I am one facet of the consciousness. You would be another facet of the consciousness. Mike would be a third facet. Our listeners would be thousands, millions facets of the cosmic consciousness. <laughs> that would be the Vedanta take on it. And I feel that is uh, an alluring and intriguing view because somehow deep down, don't we feel there is a unity to, to everything? Yes. Yeah, uh, I are, do. Yeah, we're connected somehow. Yes. Yes, yeah. and that base level of consciousness that, that I think is, uh, that is not me, ego, terrier, individual, which mm -hmm. is developing through my life and perhaps even through several lives or my individual, you know, that, that is as a, an, uh, it's transcending our individual egos, this, this base level of consciousness. Interesting. I have, um, you brought Yuri Geller up earlier. Yes. 
So <laughs> I, I have questions about him. Um, was he real for real, or did he have something on his hands to? To uh, yeah. still around. <laughs> Yes, oh. he is. I, 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 uh, in in my book, uh, yes, he is, and he's looking quite good also because he okay. got into he got into healthy food and trains every day, you know. So for his age, he looking is <laughs> looking excellent. Uh, okay. I th I think he is both. Um, that's my personal uh, opinion, and that's based on uh, because he has somehow admitted to doing tricks when he was a young uh, guy and uh, entertaining Israeli troops, and also uh, he was uh, you know take it you can there was a video on youtube you could see he was doing some bending of a spoon with his hands and not with his mind you know uh, mm -hmm. on the other hand uh, a friend of mine i will tell you that story uh, a friend of mine uh, film film uh, docufilm creator he's won a couple of prizes in the u.s tie it he was meeting gala for an interview and his uh, young son i think he was 10 years old uh, had brought a, a teaspoon from uh, the Cupboard, and uh, after Ty had made the interview with Geller, the little son said, uh, "Papa, can you give this to Mr. Geller?" You know, and uh, Ty, okay, here, yeah, and that was not a trick spoon; that was their own spoon mm -hmm. from their own cupboard. And he gave that to Geller, and Geller stroked it, stroked it, stroked it, and gave it back to the son. And then, when the son stood with the spoon in hands, then it started bending. So. Mm -hmm. That's wow. quite impressive. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> so you know, it seems he has some. And what somehow uh, could uh, say be an argument for me that also that Geller is not the only one having these abilities. If he was the yeah. only one in the world, you know, but a fam quite famous British healer called Matthew Manning, he is yeah. about the same age as, uh, and, and he had, uh, he was. Uh, become first known as the poltergeist uh, boy because uh, very what is called uh, heavy phenomena uh, happening around him you know this started when he was 11 years old and a big uh, uh, what is yeah copper coming against him you know and he was also living at uh, what is a boarding school at that time and uh, there were 25 boys living in the same uh, dormitory uh, dormitorium Dormitory, uh, dormitory, yes, yeah, dormitory. Uh, yep. <laughs> Twenty-five boys, you know, and in the middle of the night, the the, the beds started moving, you know, and this was like in a horror movie, uh, and uh, burning circles on the walls, and small oh. knives, small knives. <laughs> and swishing through the ass, you know. And uh, so, and Geller, uh, that was about the same time as Geller, and Manning tried uh, himself. Um, he uh, was seeing Geller doing this and, uh, and uh, on TV, and um, Manning also wanted to try this. And he also started to do uh, stroking a spoon, and it bended, you know. And uh, Manning's father is a quite famous architect. Uh, he is a no-nonsense no guy. So he was, he didn't like that. So he find a kind of, what is called, a very uh, thick uh, iron rod, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and he went over to his son, son, no, bend this. And Manning worked on it and worked on it and worked in 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, and then it started bending, you know. So after Manning, uh, he has never, he has been very uh, thoroughly researched by scientists, Professor George Owen, who was a fellow at uh, Toronto University in Canada and also Cambridge University, uh, very good universities, both of them. He uh, have never 
taken, say, uh, Manning into cheating. Uh, never discovered any kind of cheating. He studied him for two years. And uh, so since Manning could do these things, why not Geller, you know? But also Geller is a... I find him is a charming guy and uh, I, I like him, but uh, um, he is, you know, he wants to put on a good show. And if uh, this, uh, yes, and the, the, if you sign up, for instance, with a program host two years ahead and then you have slept uh, bad and you are on air, what do you do if the abilities don't work that uh, night? Of course, you pull a trick, you know. And I, th I right. yes, yeah. And and, and Gallo was touring the world, you know, and had shows more or less every night. So of course, uh, what also the military would tell you that these phenomena are real, but they are also a bit what you can say unreliable. So uh, so yeah. uh, you cannot disappoint uh, the audience. The show must go on. And I think my personal view is that Gallo has real abilities, but it, it also at cheats when it's needed that's my personal <laughs> view yeah i have a personal well, friend who can do that he will put a spoon in ah. your hand and he won't tell me how he does it okay um, so maybe there's like another law of physics we just don't know about or something. Well, <laughs> uh, as I said, these uh, also physicists have uh, gone into this phenomena, and and some, uh, for instance, the famous uh, uh, David Bohm. Uh, he was uh, say working together with Einstein when he was young, and also mm -hmm. uh, Brian Josephson, who won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1973, uh, professor in Cambridge, and uh, I think they have not said that this uh, Geller is the real thing because I will not. As you said, there could be, and also my favorite in this department is Manning, really, because I've been to a couple of seminars with him and asked him questions and so, and I think he is real, you know, so I like to more to have people have not been caught in cheating, you know, right. uh, but uh, you have uh, you have uh, quite good physicists. Uh, there was also um, uh, John Hampstead. He was uh, the chief of research at King's College in London, I think, and he made a book called The Metal Banders, and he also took oh. lots of ch children into the laboratory because if you have, you know, gurus uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, magicians, they, they can be uh, wolves in sheep's uh, vestments. <laughs> so, right. uh, yes. So he took children uh, into a laboratory uh, because they are not that likely to, to be successful cheaters, at least. And uh, he got... Uh, exceptional results also some of the spoons were into uh glass bottles you know and Ooh. even yes and even the glass bottles were somehow what is called melted around it was not just uh, a normal uh, cap but it is melted into this and still when the children are holding around the bottle the the metal bent within so and he was as i said the research uh, chief of research at, at uh, i think it was king's college uh, in, in in london uh, Birkbeck College. Okay, uh, his name is uh, uh, John Hastert, and uh, the book is called The Metal Banders, so people can read and make up their own opinion. I'm going to look for that one. Well, let, let me ask you this, because we've <laughs> yes. been talking about, you know, we've been talking about physicists, we've been talking about, um, you know, some of these famous people like Geller and Manning, mm -hmm. uh, but what about, uh, you know, the indigenous peoples of the world? Like, you, know, you have your Native Americans here in the States, or the Aboriginals mm. in Australia, and they seem to you know we inherently credit them with being more in tune to nature more in tune to these abilities um is that because they're more 
you know, superstitious in nature, or are, do they really have a more inherent connection to clairvoyance and telepathy and these types of abilities? Uh, yeah, very good question. Uh, I, I answer uh, well. The suggestion from one Australian anthropologist was that, uh, say, for, because also the uh, Aboriginals in, in in the Australian culture have a very strong tradition for psychic phenomena, and he felt that uh, uh, it could be the very tranquil uh, lifestyle they had that with uh, um, not lots of cars honking and uh, uh, TV sets all uh, over the place, you know. Uh, and also in Norway, we have the Sami tradition, you know. And if you are out on the tundra with the snow and just uh, it's the moon and it's just you and the reindeer, you know, uh, of course, you are much more likely to pick up, uh, say, mental things of every kind. So I think it's uh, the traditional lifestyle. Of course, many have moved into towns now and so, so probably have lost, but uh, so on. And also, uh, other thing is the culture for it, because if you're uh, trained from your child to just dismiss this kind of haunches, of course, you will be likely to overlook what and appear. But if your grandmother, uh, for instance, I was talking to a guy for, uh, from Jamaica, and uh, he was taught by his grandmother because they had, uh, when they were in the kitchen, they did not speak. They just uh, communicated telepathically, you know. So she trained him to, yes, he is living by his uh, abilities today and uh, you can consult him if you like, uh, uh, call him and ask him. And and, and uh, that, so, so they have, um, say, cultures somehow what is called collecting and interpreting and and uh, helping to 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 honor these abilities so so both the lifestyle and the culture around them uh, is uh, my uh, say take on, on this because it i think the phenomena themselves are part of human genetics of course as some family have uh, more musicality there will probably also for instance the gypsies they might have some genetics that somehow predispose them towards it but basically i think as i said this lifestyle and also uh, the culture around the phenomenon. So you think some of, some of these traits are genetically handed down through our DNA? Uh, well, uh, again, uh, I, I was uh, discussing with Dean Raiden on we had a little uh, Zoom event before uh, uh, Christmas and um, as many probably know, Dean Radin is the world's most famous parapsychologist today, and he thinks it's genetically related. And uh, uh, comparing again to music, if you see uh, Bach, for instance, the famous composer, uh, I think it was five of his sons also become musicians and composers, and even their sons again become composers. You know, so there is some genetical things going on there, uh, like also uh, mathematicians. Uh, uh, I remember, you know, this uh, film, uh, it's 20 years ago now, The Beautiful Mind, uh, about yes. the, yes, yeah, um, John Nash, uh, he was a mathematician, and his son also became a mathematician, you know. So uh, there again, you have uh, both a genetical thing and also, of course, a milieu that will somehow be friendly towards exploring these phenomena. So so um, genetics is a, is, a part of, uh, is a part of the bag here. Yeah, in, in our groups, it's culturally accepted 
Yes. Um, uh, you know, and it's just something everyone does. And then like in my family, it's like, what are you, demon? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so, and also, you know, if you're into Jewish tradition, you know, the, in uh, the Jewish tradition from Eastern Europe, the Hasidic tra traditions, which mm -hmm. is kind of a manifestation of the Lurianic Kabbalah. Uh, and there's a long and exciting tradition that there they have a very vibrant uh uh, say culture among these phenomena. There is a wonder rebbe, the wonder making rebbers. Uh, so there, there's lots of stories about uh, uh, them and how then uh, they can they had cultivated uh, their abilities to clairvoyance and healing and yeah. So that is uh, uh, say uh, more closer to Western. Uh, I have discussed with, with both the gypsies and also people with Sami background, and they have very open, uh, say, relation, uh, hotline to these phenomena. <laughs> mm. That would be nice. No. <laughs> yes, but you can establish yourself and, uh, you know, it's kind of when you start to observe these things and uh, get some experience yourself, you will be much more likely to, to be aware when next time you get a, a, a hunch about something, you know, uh, and and so it's uh, you can some how retrain yourself and make your own culture. And that, uh, as I always say when I discuss these things, uh, uh, I met with a guy once, and he was uh, had been uh, committed to a mental hospital because of schizophrenia, and he was also uh, after my experience with him uh, quite psychic, and he wanted to train to become more psychic. And, and I said, don't you think it's better just to get some grounding you know uh, dig in the garden give the yeah because he was already in the mental internet with yeah. more than half of his being you know so the phenomena can be a very exciting part and a, extremely valuable say expansion of your own consciousness but at the same time you have also to stay grounded you know to the many many people i have discussed this with so many people many psychics are quite troubled until they learn how to get grounded and sort. Because if, um, for instance, um, a psychic advisor I use when I have to get some perspective of what I do sometimes, uh, she have difficulties going to the shop because when she enters a queue, she will start getting into uh, the mental lives of the five people standing before her in the queue. And it is very confusing for her. Yes. So, so um, it's uh, both a gift and a burden to, to deal with this phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm. We've got about 10 minutes left in the show here, so I do want to get to a few more questions here uh, from our viewers. So from the uh, chat rooms, this one's actually from the Facebook one, not YouTube. Oh. Uh, and it's from Karen Whitaker. Uh, she asks, with our increase in media, satellites, et cetera, could the increase in information across airwaves cause an influx of information to our brains for this recognition of information of others? Like she gives an example here of, uh, she broke up with her boyfriend, but um, mm. so I guess with all this technology that we have going on these days, would that cause some interference for us to access this mental internet? Mm. Uh, very interesting question. Uh, you know, Jacques Vallée, he is an expert on UFOs and all that kind of stuff. He, he was also one of the founders of the internet. He has made some of the codes that still are uh, 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 he, uh, you know, before the internet as we know it today, there was this called ARPANET, which was a kind of uh, uh, 20 uh, universities connecting their uh, computers to, to increase computing powers. And they started to chat 
you know, they did not just do mathematical computations, but they also started to chat. And that is what we today have as email, you know. And he told me, he, he has said, and you should always check out, uh, check out on the YouTube what Jack Vallée says, because he is a genius, really. He has also started about 30 companies which are on the NASDAQ, you know, so he's uh, won a prize for science fiction novels and so on. He said that, that was the experience of many of the early coders and programmers that they somehow with parallel with the activities on this uh, newfound territory with the emailing and so also having the mental part going on in parallel with us that uh, many experienced that without really perhaps knowing how to interpret that so i guess there is some kind of exchange there uh, but you know it's quite difficult to be precise about these things but i would say information is information and if you are open to say information and there is more information then probably you have the possibility to somehow go in there and sort uh, and there will be more in store for you to to, to find i i would guess but exactly how you are to relate to that i i i, I cannot <laughs> it's difficult right. to, to advise on yes yeah and this one's kind of on a related note not necessarily technology blocking the way but social constructs mm. um from sarah yusuf how difficult is it to break mental constructs and enter the mental internet do you believe that the mm. changes in social consciousness over time is easing the way yes i do uh because the, 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 the you could see that uh early in european tradition uh, many of these phenomena were, were taken to, for granted you know and uh, sociologists of religions will tell you that more than half of grown-up people have experienced these things uh but as i said uh, back to that we have not had an explanatory model that somehow can catch these phenomena and make sense of them uh but i think we are going to do that uh, back to the article from from uh, 2018 in, in American Psychologist. That is a symptom of that there is a change uh, on uh, the horizon there. Because uh, I think somehow people have been very much in love with uh, Newtonian physics. And that is very understandable because it's it's so clean, you know, and, and it's so easy to relate to. And uh, what you learn in, in high school, you know, how to uh, acceleration of a car and all that kind of things. Uh, and uh, of course, it's extremely valuable. But as Einstein told us, when the, we are not speaking about uh, just uh, the speed of a car, but speed of light, that's totally different set of laws uh, coming into action or at least an expansion of that. Uh, so and and when more, more and people are, you know, uh, Einstein has become uh, uh, <laughs> say what is called uh, part of the social stock of knowledge and also quantum physics is entering into that. The first uh, say uh, serious um, what you can say, assault on the modern uh, worldview there, which went into the popular culture, was uh, during, uh, say, uh, hippie time, uh, with people <laughs> taking psychedelics, you know, and many had uh, telepathic experiences. And uh, and also uh, this book from the quantum physicist, Fritjof Capra, uh, trying to somehow combine quantum, physicist, uh, quantum physics and Eastern mysticism. And now you say, uh, I think it's mostly for good, done in responsible uh, uh, way but no uh, big universities as uh, Yale and Harvard starting to take uh, so somehow uh, say starting research on psychedelics again I will not say uh, as I said I think it's 
extremely important to always stay grounded. But a friend of mine, he had cured uh, himself together with a psychologist. He's cured himself for uh, alcoholism by the use of psychedelics. And also I know people with terminal cancer had been prepared in a very good way to dying uh, using psychedelics. This is also part of psychedelics is not the same as the paranormal, but both belong to the experience of an expanded uh, consciousness. So it seems uh, somehow we are taking the psychedelics uh, out of the party culture and the subcultures and reintroducing them to, to, to serious consideration what can they give us. I think, the, as I said, the article in, in, in American Psychologist for Tutors is a symptom of the same. So yes, I think we are going in towards a more inclusive model of consciousness that will somehow allow us to live with our telepathy and clairvoyance and all these things. Yeah, it's interesting. You you mentioned the psychedelics. It seems like ayahuasca is becoming increasingly popular yes. these days. Yes. Uh, also, uh, also a friend of mine. I will uh, can tell you. Uh, uh, we are going close. A friend of mine here from a little town. He has went to Mexico two times uh, to speak with a Maya sh shaman, uh, and this shaman also was educated and a medical doctor in England. So he knew both the Western tradition and the Mayan tradition. You know, and my friend went into the jungle with him and. Um, and he was uh, sitting in there and was uh, in a power spot, you know, and uh, and the shaman left him in the jungle. He was sitting about eight hours alone in the jungle, you know, with the uh, kakadus and everything uh, around him. And also there was rumbling in 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 the earth. So probably it was a volcano or something there. And uh, and he had eaten some of this, uh, not uh, ayahuasca, then they think, think they used a peyote cactus. Uh, that's kind of... Uh, staple food for the shamans you know uh, and and uh, and uh, while he was sitting there you know he was uh, thinking to himself a conflict he had with his brother for they had been not speaking properly for 10 years or so and he was going deep into this conflict and think uh, thought to himself Oh, I have to some be consoled with my brother. I have to lay this, put this behind me, and take up contact and make things good again, and so. And when the shaman came back uh, to to my friend, and they talked, and oh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine, and so. And the shaman looked at him and said, "Ah, I see you have uh, been uh, making atonement with your brother." <laughs> <laughs> That's quite impressive. <laughs> that is pretty impressive. <laughs> and he was also a medical doctor, so he combined the traditions. So it's possible to expand our horizon to include both modern science, which is a wonderful thing, with the wisdom of old traditions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm take which one I try to do in my book. Which you do, <laughs> yes, in, in the book. And we'll yes, put it, it's we'll put it back up yes. there real quick. Short history uh, of nearly everything paranormal. Uh, we are down to the last few minutes uh, of the show. I do want to get one question here from uh, Alina, and she was wondering why, uh, if you understand why some people develop clairvoyance later in life. Mm. Uh, that might be coincidental. Um... Uh, and as I said, it, it can be a burden also. Uh, I spoke to so many psychics that having problem with, uh, with say, uh, navigating these abilities. Uh, but uh, uh, also, for instance, uh, the guy uh, I told you about uh, early in the program, uh, he who said uh, the exact height of my date, one meter and 64 centimeters, he told me that he had, uh, say, experienced these things when he was a young boy, seven years old. He knew he had these abilities, but he didn't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, uh, and he lived a normal life and uh, married and so but he become into he, he become divorced and went into a life crisis and suddenly 
these abilities appeared again, you know, and then he included them in his life. And he, for the last 30 years or so, he has worked as a psychic advisor. So there might be stages in life where the old Indian, as I said, the first 20 years you should be a child and then you should be married and then you should uh, do something else. And then the last uh, 20 years you should become a spiritual teacher, you know. So so it might be that you are not, uh, say, mature enough to uh, navigate these uh, in a see, constructive way in your life. So, um, yeah. Okay. Victoria? There might be reasons, yes. Hmm. Wait, Victoria? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm agreeing. Anything else? Because we are getting down toward the end here. <laughs> no, awesome. By the book. <laughs> no, I totally, I totally agree with you. Um, my family on my father's side, it comes mm -hmm. from the Roma gypsy line. And, oh. you know, we always joked, ha ha. You know, but when I finally started researching and opening up to that, it's just like a whole new world opened up. And I'm only up to seven seven martinis. I'm waiting for my eight martini moment. So <laughs> very interesting. Yes, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, uh, and also, I spoke with an American psychic. She she had been a kind of party girl, and you know, I don't think she was into the spiritual things at all. <laughs> it, it <was> <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but then she 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 was run over by a car, and she was clinically dead for eleven minutes or so. And when she came back to life, she was uh, what is called uh, resuscitated. Is called mm -hmm. yes. Uh, I'm still learning English. You know. Perfect. <laughs> uh, <thank laughs> Got it. Um, and when she came back to say uh, regained consciousness after being uh, clinically dead for 11 minutes, she found herself psychic. And yeah. it was extremely chaotic, you know, because uh, uh, she could feel uh, or know what the nurses were thinking and uh, meeting another person in the cantina at the hospital, you know, what he was thinking. And so very, and what is my mental life and what is his mental life and what is mm -hmm. uh, her mental life? It was all just a mix, you know. So she had to really learn to, 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 to sort those things. And uh, now she's working also as a psychic advisor full time. But it's, as I said, it's it's a challenge. It's like playing the violin. It sounds terrible the first two years, but then starting to get uh, on and you can give concerts and uh, entertain. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You have to learn how to ground, and then when yes. you finally yes. open, because yes. I just spent, I I spend the weekends in the woods sometimes. Yes, <laughs> that's beautiful. So, you know, well, communicating with nature, the trees and the energies and the smells and everything. So that, yeah. that's very healthy. Yes, I, I love the forest. Um, mm, but you're too. right. Um, it, it opens you up once you accept like, hey, this maybe this is really the way I'm supposed to be going. And this is what I'm supposed mm. to be doing in life and mm. stop finding it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and 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 always listen to uh, you know that it was I called a religious question that what is meaningful for you you know is that relationship meaningful is that job meaningful is this right. activity meaningful is this lifestyle meaningful always you know try to sensitize yourself towards what is meaningful in your life you know because uh, that is the way and uh, and also I think this psychic phenomena uh, if they are uh, part of that they will be a blessing for you. Otherwise, they can be chaotic. But as long as you relate to the question of meaning, you know, then this phenomena also will find a place, I think. Yeah, I tried playing roulette. I put half on red and half on black, and it went to green. I totally uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good um, metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So on that note, we are at the end of the show. Uh, Turia, where can everybody find this uh, wonderful book, Short History of Nearly Everything Paranormal? 
I would go to Amazon, uh, either Amazon.com or if you are in England, Amazon.co.uk. But uh, Amazon.com, they will find everything. And also the audio book and uh, the ebook with Kindle. All right, fantastic. For those watching here on YouTube, that link is down in the description of the show for those listening to the podcast later or uh, syndication on KGRA Radio. Like the man said, go to Amazon. You can find it right there. So Two days. <laughs> right. Namaste. You get it in two days, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Turia, thank you very much for uh, joining us this evening. I know it's the middle of the night there in Norway, so we really, really do appreciate it. I need a moment I feel.